so glad that you're here and I felt Sunday night a deviation from where I wanted to be. And so I've just tried to follow the spirit where he where he's led me to present tonight our final and uh, Bible study in the book of Acts. Now, to be clear, no one can present any um, complete expository teaching of the book of Acts in four weeks. No one. It takes years and years and years. We could spend every day on a few verses and it would take us a long time. So I have to choose uh, how we lead um, where we go and, and how I lead in our study. So I've chosen this because I felt like the Lord wanted me to to choose this. Now, I do apologize for standing right here instead of at the pulpit. It seems to be awkward. It was a great, I had a great idea that never materialized. And next week we'll be back at the pulpit. Then everyone can just spread out whatever and you can come. Um, but I thought this would, wouldn't it be great just to stand around down here? And it turned out not to be such a great idea. So, uh, but we'll, we'll adjust for everybody who, who really doesn't want me to stand down here. Look at your handout for a moment and, and let, let's just kind of direct our focus so that we can grasp what I feel like the Lord wants us to hear. In every season, there are pivot points in which a change occurs. This is especially true in the biblical sense as the four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, their writings come to this close. The resurrection of Jesus Christ is revealed. And there is more than just that transition. There's a transition from the law. Everyone say the law. This is, if you're writing in your handout, this is the law of Moses. This had been established for over a millennium now. The law of Moses, a couple millenniums. To the ministry of Jesus. Now, he did not, the Bible says he's, he did not come to, to do away with the law, but to fulfill it. So, the ministry of Jesus was both the fulfillment of the former, when I say former, I mean the law of Moses, and the door to the birth of the church. Because Jesus said, no man can come to the Father but by me. So, this is a massive transition that, that happens at the end of all four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. At the end of those books, you've got some very similar things that are happening. Now, most of you know this, but if you didn't, let's just, let's just do a quick review. Matthew, Mark, and Luke are called the synoptic Gospels. And the reason why they're synoptic is because they all follow a very similar pattern. They start with the birth of Jesus Christ. That's how they begin. But all the Gospels basically end the same way with the death of Jesus Christ. His death on the cross. And then the resurrection of the Lord. Now the resurrection of the Lord is, is accompanied by by a, a multiple different supernatural events. So we're in a massive transition. One of the events is that there's an earthquake in his death. One of the events is that the veil in the temple is torn from the top to the bottom, exposes the Holy of Holies. This is a, this is 
a clear sign that a supernatural work has been done. There's a third event rarely spoke about in that graves open up and the dead, the old saints, get up out of the graves are walking around the city of Jerusalem. They're going home. And they're knocking on doors. How about that? <laughs> Let's talk about that. There's, there's, there's declarations. The first declaration comes from a centurion who's standing close by the cross. He says, surely this was the Son of God. Another declaration comes from Thomas, who falls on his knees and says, my Lord and my God. He is, he is declaring Jesus Christ as the one true Yahweh. There's transitions that are taking place. Jesus comes back to the disciples. He's with them for 40 days. And he's speaking of the things concerning the kingdom of God. And in those 40 days, we have perhaps a litany of books that could have been written. No one even knows really what he says outside of about three verses. 40 days of speaking, 40 days of revelation, 40 days of things that we will not know and, and maybe, maybe we should not know, but, but they're not written down. And then you have this convergence of all these gospels and all those gospels were the culmination of all the Old Testament coming in and presenting this incredible manifestation of the, of, of, of Yahweh in, in the form of Jesus Christ. This was the desire of all of the patriarchs. From early on, they wanted to know who he was. The Psalms uh, prophesied of him. Isaiah 53 is, a, is an, almost an entire chapter of who he is, to whom the arm of the Lord is revealed. And it describes Jesus Christ, but there's no name. There's no identification. Just that he was going to die and he was going to carry the sins of the world. This was Isaiah. Even in the night of wrestling, are you with me here? This is not on your handout. This is for free. The handout costs $10. Even in the night of wrestling, Jacob is wrestling and, and this is a theophany. Now a theophany is God appearing as, as an item, at the burning bush. Uh, as an, an angelic being, um, as some kind of figure that, that might go away, a theophany, a, a cloud, pillar of cloud, pillar of fire. Um, it is not the incarnate God. And in the midnight wrestling, Jacob is wrestling. He knows he's got to face his scorned brother Esau, and he needs a blessing, and he's asking for a blessing. Even in the, the dialogue, the angelic theophany, God says, let me go. <laughs> and he's holding on for dear life. Now, how that's possible? Well, then there's another lesson for another time. That you can actually get a hold of God. He allows you to get a hold of him. And so, during that, Jacob is going to ask him, what is thy name? And what's the answer? The answer is a question. How is it? That you ask after my name. There is no answer. Because the answer of the name does not come until Gabriel, the archangel, the messenger angel, comes and gives the name. What the incarnate God's name shall be to Joseph and to Mary. His name shall be called Jesus. 
for he shall save his people from their sins. This is massive transitions, all of the Old Testament just coming to, why do we know that? Because John the Baptist sees Jesus coming and he says, this is the declaration that will end all of their ritual. He gives Jesus the declaration. How do we know that? Because from the onset, even to Abraham, where there were sacrifices made, and then go beyond Abraham, even into the inception of the first family, Adam, Eve, you have, you have Adam and Eve, and then you've got, then you've got two sons in there. Adam must have begun somewhere there was a blood sacrifice. Because when Cain presented his, his grain and Abel presented the blood, the Bible says that God had respect unto Abel's sacrifice, but not unto Cain. So now we're, we're, we're bringing all of that, a trail of blood, Thousands of years in the making, trail of blood, down to the declaration of John the Baptist. And he says, behold, the Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world. And Paul would write to the church in Philippi, and he would say, you were not redeemed with corruptible things like silver and gold, received from your vain tradition from your fathers, but you were redeemed with the precious blood of Christ. This is an amazing transition. And now, now comes this introduction to the church of Jesus Christ, which he built. And when he died, as we have already spoke about in Hebrews chapter 9, when he died, now the testament is enacted. Now you begin the testament. So really the Old Testament is, does not end at the last chapter of Malachi. It ends at the death of Jesus Christ. <laughs> Today you'll be with me in paradise. That guy, man, talk about getting in, in the skin of his, man, he, what the most brilliant man in the world, dying on the cross of Jesus, sticking up for the Lord. The Lord looks over and said, today you're going to be with me. We're going to party in heaven. It's going to be paradise. You ain't seen no Bahama like the Bahamas we got up there. Come on in, man. And that dude tucked his shoulder underneath the Abrahamic covenant and got right in with Abraham. And all the patriarchs are looking around saying, who are you? And he said, I really don't know how I got here. I was just saying, this is, this is a righteous man. Better not pick on him. And he just said, come on in. So anybody who has to say, well, he wasn't baptized, let me just tell you. Because the New Testament, any testament, is not enacted until the death of the testator. So when the... When the testator died, the will is enforced. Now, there is a different requirement. Just for the church. You're under a different law. David said, when I saw the prosperity of the wicked, I I was disturbed until I went into the house of the Lord and found out their end, E-N-D. Found out where they were heading. Don't be jealous of the prosperity of people who are wicked. They have an end, and that's not your end. In fact, John writes, little children, ye are of God. You're of God. The, the laws of all, of all of the world, they don't apply to you. They don't apply to you, because this is not your home. That's what we used to sing, right? This world is not my home. I'm passing through. This is you're 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 not just part of a republic democracy. You're a part of a of a theocracy. 
where Jesus is the king. I'm getting to it now. <laughs> I'm getting to it. Because you got to get to the transitions. If you don't get to the transitions, then you don't know how to rightly divide the word. Then all of a sudden, you don't understand where the Old Testament is. The Old Testament has all kinds of shadows everywhere. There's shadows everywhere in the Old Testament. The book is like a big book of shadows. It's a shadow of things to come. A shadow of things to come. We even call them types with a capital T. Types and shadows of things to come. And then you get to this culmination of these gospels that leads you into the book of Acts. Where the historical writing takes place of the early church. Are you ready for the statement? It is the only place in the Bible where people were actually saved. The only place where you can find people that were saved. They were saved in the book of Acts. Okay. <laughs> Praise God. And now I feel like we've already had a whole lot. Can, you res- can, can, can we take a little quiz on what I just said? Do you, do you have it? Listen, this is on their video and podcast. Go back. Okay. So I just, I need to give a few points of these transitions and pivot points that are critical for our understanding of the book. The first point is that Jerusalem stands. Now this is interesting because the fall of Jerusalem occurs in about A.D. 70. But it's not mentioned, it's not even alluded to in the book of Acts. And had there been any uh, notion of that, then we would have found out. But even though Jesus will predict the fall, um, and it would have been a vindication of his prophecy, though it was unthinkable for them, there's not even a small hint of it in the book of Acts. And so the reason why this is important for us is because this is the birthing ground of the church and, and Jerusalem is intact and it's, it is, it's critical for us to know the time frame in which this book was fully written. Um, from Acts chapter 2 to Acts chapter 10 is a full decade. So in those eight chapters, there's a full decade of time. And then you've got more years Spread out until you get to the end of the book. So there's a couple points. Acts contains the period in which the gospel is preached in Jerusalem and Antioch. That's important. We won't go through that. This intact message was propagated throughout the known world, Asia Minor, before the fall of Jerusalem. So Jerusalem was intact. And it stood. It was still standing. Now as I spoke uh, Sunday... For us not to become so arrogant to think that this will always be an apostolic church or this will always be a church. Because if we get arrogant enough to think that, then we'll stop sacrifice, we'll stop praying, we'll stop fasting, we'll stop giving, we'll stop. We can't stop any of that. If this remains an apostolic church, it's up to us. If you don't want an apostolic church, don't live like it. If you want worship in the church, worship. If we want truth, preach truth. Embrace truth. Amen. Praise God. I don't want to go down that road, but I feel like I should. 
but I got to stick to this. Acts 1 and 8, that's an important thing because it was fulfilled in the course of the historical writing. Acts 1 and 8, and ye shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost has come upon you. So power came after the Holy Ghost. And here's the next part. And ye shall be witnesses unto me, both in Jerusalem and in Judea and in Samaria. Now look at that. And unto the uttermost part of the earth. They would have accepted Jerusalem. They might have struggled with some of the people in Judea, but Samaria was surely off limits. And for certain, the house of Cornelius was not even in their mind. But what they did not know was that it would be preached in places they didn't think qualified. Now, this is important for us because the book of Acts was the greatest extension beyond the Jewish culture. It was for all the people. And the application for us is that this book of Acts experience is not confined to any particular church or denomination. There are people all over the world receiving the baptism of the Holy Spirit, speaking in other tongues, baptized in the name of Jesus, believing that there is one Lord, and they don't even know who we are. In fact, there's some people who think UPC is the barcode on top of their cereal box. They don't know. And the important thing is that the book of Acts is being preached. And in that particular day, it was important for us, for them, uh, to see it come to fruition in their time. So Jerusalem is going to stand. And it's going to stand until the Lord decides that it, that, that it does not need to stand. And that's a disconcerting thought. But it's going to stand until the Lord decides, we, I will not move here in the same way. You all got that? Okay. Number two, you have eyewitness accounts. And unlike other manuscripts, Luke is going to write in first person, and he's going to include real-time accounts of miracles, real time. And this is important for us because, uh, because we're not, this is not a flashback. We're not reflecting real time Holy Ghost infilling, real time water baptisms. Um, and, and when you, when you're reading the book of Acts, what you're reading is you're reading the accounts as they were written. Now there, there are, Schools of thought. So I don't, I, I, I want to help us with this. There's a school of thought that after the fact, uh, Matthew will sit down with parchment and pen and under, of course, all of it, under the inspiration of the Holy Ghost, will write what happened from Matthew 1 to the end of Matthew, from Luke 1 to Luke 20, for th- that these writings... But there's a school of thought that while Acts was taking place, Luke was writing it. Everybody got that? So we do know that after the fact, certain books were written, especially the first five books, which we know as the Pentateuch, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, that Moses wrote them. Perhaps the last little bit of that might have been written by Joshua as Moses is passing away and Joshua would have uh, finished out that last portion. 
And that God showed Moses, his hinder parts. So God showed the originality of, of uh, the original uh, creation. So we do know that. But when it comes to the book of Acts, there's a school of thought that, that in, in, in time, in actual, in detailed time, that Luke was writing what was going on. And that intrigues me. Uh, I, of course, who can verify? We, we, but, but this, this is a, uh, this is a thought because of the way that it was written and because of the way these things were occurring. So the testimony of Peter in Acts 10 is immediately heard in Acts 11. What happened in Acts 10 was immediately rehearsed in Acts 11. If you go back, Peter goes back, he goes back to his own brethren and has to qualify what he's done. So immediately, maybe even the next day or so, um, Peter is retelling what just took place. So real time is important for us. And when people are baptized, uh, you can, you can see that where, where, where straightway they're coming out of the water, they begin to speak in tongues. And so these words or the way it's translated gives us the clue. Number three is the establishment of doctrines of baptisms as fun, as foundational truths. These are foundational truths. Now I, I'm gonna cover that here in a moment, um, in a little bit different way. I'm gonna, I'm gonna cover that, um, but just, I'll, I'll do a little bit broader than that, but, but after the book uh, is this age of the church, all the books after that, there's a little typo there, but all the books after that from Romans to the book of Revelation were written to the saints and the brethren which were already saved. The saints and the brethren. So this is critical for us to note. When you get to the first verse of the book of Romans, you're you're reading a letter written to a church already baptized in Jesus' name, already received the gospel. And the reason why that's critical for us to see that is because there are no real-time conversions throughout those books. That's, that's important. And so any verbiage that would lead you into a particular salvation thought has to be measured against what Paul has already taught in the book, the book of Acts and what Peter has already preached. So the book of Romans, uh, the book to, to the church in Corinth, to Galatia, to Philippi, um, the church in Ephesus, uh, letters written to Philemon, the, the, the book written by Jude, uh, when you when you finally exhaust all those and you get to the book of Revelation, well, the book of Revelation is is a book of prophetic utterances. It's a it has it has imagery and it and it and it has some reflection and myriad reflection uh, against the book of Daniel, which was written perhaps seven hundred years prior. It's an amazing book, um, but all of those books were written to the brethren to the church. They were already saved. So if you want to know where do I find salvation, you find it in the book of Acts. And you want to know where the keys to the kingdom were revealed, you find it in, in a specific verse of Acts chapter 2, verse 38. And so, 
from that moment, you have an introduction. From, from the moment of, 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 uh, of the, maybe I should say, of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, you have this introduction that's going to lead us into, uh, into, this, into this book that records the history of the church. I'm, I'm, on, I'm on number four, and I want to talk a little bit about a conversion or, uh, that, that will take place long after Jesus is gone. Uh, we have evidence of Nicodemus long after Jesus is gone. But the introduction uh, happens in John chapter 3. Not only is he speaking to Nicodemus, who is a Pharisee, who, who obviously sits on a very high council, who it's at, at, at the final juncture, he is going to join a friend, Joseph of Arimathea. They're going to beg the body of Jesus Christ. They're going to prepare the body of Jesus Christ for burial in a very rushed and very hastened way. And in fact, they won't even get his body completely done. They'll have, they'll have some, uh, some of the means, but the women are going to come the next morning thinking to complete the task to bring special spices. You can read that in your Bible. Um, this introduction of John 3 is really introducing what happens in the book of Acts. In fact, it, ha- it, it, it introduces Acts chapter 2. John 3 is an introduction of Acts 2. Jesus is talking to Nicodemus. He comes to Jesus by night because Nicodemus at this juncture cannot afford to be found out by his pharisaical brethren, the, the council. So he comes to Jesus by night and he, he, he offers pleasantries. Jesus, we know that thou art a good teacher come from God. For no man can do these miracles that thou doest except God be with him. Now, to that pleasantry, what does Jesus say? Verily, verily, I say unto thee, except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Well, now Nicodemus is thinking a natural back into his mother's womb. He said, well, how can that happen? And Jesus clarifies and the, and the clarification, which is found in your handout, is the clarification of baptisms. This is baptisms, an introduction into baptisms. Verily, verily, I say unto thee, except a man be born of water and of the Spirit. Those are two baptisms. He cannot enter into the kingdom of God. And so this introduction is going to be manifest or made manifest in Acts chapter 2. Now, this is a fundamental doctrine of this church, but not because we created it. It's because it's a fundamental doctrine of the Bible, the baptism. Now, John the Baptist is baptizing people in the river of Jordan, and he's speaking about confessing their sins. John the Baptist is like Lewis and Clark. He's paving the way. He's the voice of one crying in the wilderness. He's knocking down trees. He's making the road, the path straight. So watch the transition. Are you ready? From early on the Old Testament, there's actual evidence in the, in the country of, of Israel, all through Israel, that before you write a scripture as a scribe or before you go into the temple, there's ritual baths. You put on a, you put on a, a different set of clothes. You go down into steps. You dip into water. You come up and then you're ceremonial, ceremonially cleaned. 
they all understood a ritual bath. It's just the dipping of water. It's immersion. And you go into the temple. Or if you were a scribe, you did that. And then you began to scribe the Holy Scriptures. Everybody got that? That was ingrained in their, that was ingrained in them. They knew that. John the Baptist came along and said, hold on a second. The mikvah that you've been using, this mikvah, there's something more to it than that. He said, you need to confess your sins and repent. And he baptized them unto repentance. This is not just a ritual, he said. This is a confession of repentance. So John was baptizing with the baptism of repentance. This is in your Bible too. In fact, this is all in your Bible. Who knows I'm in the Bible? Well, I have to tell you, just in case you're looking at me wondering, is that in the Bible? I will tell you it's in the Bible. These were more noble than those in Thessalonica, in that they received the word with all readiness of mind and searched the scriptures daily to see whether things were so. The Bereans were more noble than those in Thessalonica. Receive the word, then go home, find out whether or not I'm telling you the truth. That's the Bible too. That's also in the Bible. It's wonderful to be in the Bible. Okay. <laughs> well, we know that John was baptizing with repentance because, and we're going to get to Acts 19 here in a moment, but we know that because when, when Paul found the disciples of John, he said, John verily baptized with the baptism of repentance. So John is taking them from the mikvah ritual to repentance and baptism and repentance and baptism is going to lead to another baptism. This is, this is a progressive understanding of baptism. Well, where did we find that out? Well, we found out the progressive name of God. Because God doesn't show you all the light that he has right now. Because that's his way. In fact, nobody understood God. In fact, when Hagar was kicked out, she named God the first. In fact, Hagar was the first one to ever name God in the, in the Old Testament. It wasn't Abraham. It wasn't Jacob. It was Hagar. No relation to Sammy. Little rock and roll joke there. <laughs> Who are you talking about? Okay. She's kicked out. She thinks she's going to die. And she calls God a name when the angel appears and says, you're not going to die. Here's water over here. I'm going to take care of you. And she names God a name, the God who sees me. But that's not his name. Isaiah said, unto you a child is born. Unto you a son is given. The government shall be upon his shoulder. His name shall be called. Not his name is. It just shall be called. Wonderful counselor, the mighty God, the everlasting father, the prince of peace. His name shall be called the everlasting father and the prince of peace. There's his name, only one name. They called him when, 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 when Abraham went to the mountain to sacrifice his son and laid him down and the dagger was in the air and the angel stopped his hand from plunging. The Hebrew scholars said that Abraham believed God so much that even if he killed his son, God could raise him from the dead. But God said, okay, that's it. That's it. I just want to make sure I'm number one and not your kid. In fact, that's your favorite son. In fact, you even, even God said, take your son, thine only son. Oof. That kind of messes up everybody, doesn't it? Because that wasn't his only son. 
Ishmael was his other son. But there's a difference between the son of the bondwoman and the son of the free. One has a right, but the other has the promise. <laughs> how, how, you want to go down that road? No, we cannot because we have, we have a handout. I can't get it. I, well, listen, there's a time frame. People will turn me off. I'm not even talking about the people that are watching you. <laughs> okay. So, so I'm in this now. We, 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 we have this name. It's got to be revealed. There's a progressive, there's a progressive knowledge. You have a progressive knowledge. I have a progressive knowledge. I've been, I've been here for 22 and a half years, almost 23 in, in, in November. I wish I would have known all the stuff I know now, if I'd have known, I'd, I'd have done so much better, but I had to grow and learn. I was on the job training, much to the dismay of several of the people. I found out through the years, don't say that. <laughs> if I'd have known, you're progressively learning, and God allows that to happen. You're progressively learning. Hear me, ladies and gentlemen, don't ever think that you know everything about the Lord. You don't. There's a lot more than you don't know than that which you do know. And God reveals himself according to your ability to be spiritually mature. He won't show you things in the spirit if you can't handle that. Mm -hmm. And so this is a progression. The mikvah. Listen, we're going we're gonna to dedicate ourselves. And how do we do that? We didn't even start that. First of all, we're going to go back to Abraham. And we're going we're gonna to recite some things. We're going we're gonna to dedicate some things. We're going to get our family together. We're going to follow a covenant. We're going to teach Isaac. Isaac's going to teach Jacob. Jacob's going to teach his 12 sons. All of them were, were, were horrible except for Joseph. We got a big mess. They finally all convene in Egypt. There's 70 of them. 70 grows into millions. But they're all kind of wayward. They need someone to help them. God's going to send judges and he's going to send prophets and then kings and all kinds of things are going to happen. But, but we're still trying to follow the, these ways that Moses has, has led them. The law is given so they have some kind of structure. And they do have structure. And they do have, they, they of course, now they have a Mishnah. But they, they, had, they had all kinds of laws and decrees and they had, they had ceremony. They, they had food. They had reminders of where they came from. All of these things were built into their culture just so they could remember God. Remember what I said? If you boil down the whole Old Testament, there's one word you'll find. It's called remember. All of the Old Testament can be summed up in one word, remember. 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 When you get to those 400 years of silence where God did not speak for 400 years, you got to have a plank. There's only two planks. There's only two things that bridge the Old Testament and New Testament. You know what they are? Let me tell you. Here's the first one. The first one is John the Baptist. The first one is John. He, he's, not, he's not a New Testament guy. He's a throwback. John is a plank between the Old Testament and the New Testament. He don't care who you are. He is like a prophet of old. He's kind of, he's kind of like Elijah and Elisha. He's, he's, he's like Isaiah. He don't really care what you, he's, he's like Nathan who points his finger in a king's face and said, you're the man. John is in the wilderness and he, and, and even Jesus said, who did you go out to see? You go to see some reed shaking in the wind? No. They were trembling. They wanted to see him. John never told them where to show up. They just came. They just came because he was powerful. 
He was unique. There's the other plank. The other plank is the remnant of God's miracle power. It's a, it's, it's, it's one remaining thing that should have reminded them that God never really left. He was silent, but he never left. And we find it out when the creator of the, the, the son of God, the, the incarnate Emmanuel walks up to a pool that was stirred by an angel every year and people rushed to get in. It was the remaining evidence of the almighty God showing himself still alive, one stirring of the water. And here he comes and the lame man says to Jesus, the healer, when they come to the water, I can't get in because I have no body to help me. I have no man. So the, these progressive moves lead us into the explosion of the church, which began in Acts chapter 2. The church began in Acts chapter 2. Now, when the day of Pentecost was fully come, that those few words are very important. That means that there was a seven-day period of celebration, but when the Holy Ghost was poured out, it happened on that day. And that day would have been the first day of the week, which would have been Sunday. Okay. So... We understand these baptisms, and we understand that there's baptism of water. We know that there's baptism of the Spirit. That was found in John 3. You have to be born of the water and the Spirit. And then now we're on number five. Okay. And so number five, we want to establish something. Before I get to that blank there, let's just go to the Scripture. Hebrews chapter 6. Now, I've done this multiple times, but I always have to establish this. The book of Hebrews is written, and in verse 1 of Hebrews 6, therefore, leaving the principles of the doctrine of Christ, we need, to, we need to understand that, let us go on to perfection. Not laying again the foundation of repentance from dead works. Put a one next to that, one. Faith towards God, two. Baptisms, put three and four next to that. You can number these now. Laying on of hands, that's five. Resurrection of the dead, that's six. Eternal judgment, eternal judgment, that's seven. So within the church, after it was established, and years later, this is what Hebrews tells us. It does not say that we abandon these things. It says they were the foundation of what we believed. Now we're going to go on. Now, now let me just share with you. I'm speaking tonight about these fundamental doctrines and the baptisms because the Lord has led me to do this. But if I'm in a room and there's 10 people in the room and everyone's been baptized, I'm not going to preach that they need to be baptized because they've already been baptized. If we want 10 people to receive the Holy Ghost on Sunday, 10 people need to be in here that need the baptism of the Holy Spirit. If somebody needs to be healed, but everyone's healthy, then there's no, no one's going to be healed. So if you want someone healed, go find a sick person 
um, and bring them, and then we're going to lay hands on them, and they're going to be healed. So the, one of the problems that we found is that over time, churches that have no growth and no new people, and, and they, they, have no, they, they don't have any conversions, they get stuck in a rut rehearsing the same things that they knew over and over and over again. And they don't go on to perfection. Because even after you're born again of the water and spirit, there's still a lot of work to be done. Because being born again means you're born. You're a baby. You're an infant. And everyone grows at different rates. So we don't put that generality on everyone. But Hebrews is saying, look, we have established that. We don't have need to talk about laying on of hands. We know that that happens. In fact, Jesus... Not He commanded that in Mark chapter 16, verse 17. They'll lay hands on the sick and they shall recover. And that's exactly what Peter, John, Paul, Silas, Barnabas, and John Mark all did. They all did the lay, they all did this, the laying on of hands. But there comes a time when you go on to something else. And what you go on to is your spirit and your attitude and your disposition and your way of life and your structure. Because if you've been baptized in Jesus' name, according to the scripture, I don't have to baptize you again. You've been baptized. Someone doesn't have to be baptized. You don't have to do that again. But you do need to go on to the next step. You, you don't keep pouring concrete after the foundation's been laid. Okay. So this was, this was the directive. But in the directive is the declaration that baptisms, spirit, water, spirit, baptisms, were part of the early church. Now, how can a church exist if they don't baptize? If you don't bapt, if a church doesn't baptize, that means they ought not lay hands on anyone. They don't believe in eternal judgment or the resurrection. Because those things are part and parcel of the foundation. When the church, whatever church it is, takes out baptism, guess what they also take out? They take out, they take out repentance and faith towards God. How could you have repentance but no baptisms? How could you have faith but in God but no, but no belief in a resurrection? The foundation of any church, I'm not talking about denomination, of any church, the foundation includes these seven points. There will be a judgment to come. Now, there are churches today that do not believe in hell anymore. They've they've sponged hell from their their verbiage because they think that God is a God of love and he will never, there will be no judgment. There will be no judgment. But that means you have to erase multiple chapters of the Bible. In fact, Jesus even said it's better for you to go to heaven lame, crippled, blind than for you to go to hell whole. In fact, of all the parables that Jesus spoke, one is included as a parable and it's probably not a parable. And that's the parable of the rich man and Lazarus. Because every other parable only gives a pronoun of, of a man, but not a name. But when it comes to that particular story, there's an actual name mentioned, which shows us that not only is there a heaven and a bosom of Abraham waiting a resting place waiting for the resurrection for the trumpet of God to sound. But there's also a hell where there's torment and the rich man is in hell saying, could you just dab a little water on your finger and touch my tongue and tell my brethren, you don't want to go here. That is not a parable. That's a real story. So think now. 
We have to think through this. If you pull out hell, you also pull out repentance. If you, if there's, if there's no hell, why should you repent? Well, what, what, you don't have to have faith in God at all. If he does all the work, you have to have faith in God at all. No, you must repent because Jesus said, except you repent, you'll all die. Nobody's going to get to heaven without repentance. The Bible says there's no unclean thing there. How are we doing? Are we, are we good? Are we, are we? Is this too preachery? I'll talk in monotone and not raise my voice or lower it. Okay, sorry. I'm just, it's a personality thing. Deal with it. I like this shirt that said, Elvis is dead. Deal with it. Bunch of Elvis sightings. What? How did I get off on Elvis? He comes up in a lot of conversations. <laughs> okay. <laughs> now Jesus, if you flip the page, Jesus is going to say this. Okay, we have, we have Genesis all the way through Malachi. We've got this pattern of blood. Why do we have the pattern of blood? Because the Bible says in Leviticus chapter 11, the life of the body is in the blood. The life of the body is in the blood. Blood is the only redemption for sin forever. You'll never be free from sin without blood. And in the Old Testament, they used goats, lambs, rams, turtle doves, oxen. These were blood sacrifices that God required. In the, in the tabernacle, the high priest would kill a goat, but another goat, he would, he would take blood and put it on the goat's head and let it loose in the wilderness. And that goat would, would be, would be, would be eaten or torn up or no one would know. It would never come back. It would be released in the wilderness and, and the ravenous beast would eat it or destroy it. And that's where we get the term scapegoat. Became a scapegoat. There was these remedies. The high priest would put the blood of, from the altar on his right ear and carry the blood in a golden vessel, sprinkle the blood on the mercy seat. A cloud of glory would consume the blood. The blood, the blood of animals was the payment for sin, but it did not remove sin. It did not remit sin. Everyone say remission. It was not remitted. There was no remission. It just moved it. It gave them a space of another year of living. But judgment's coming back. Judgment's coming back. Judgment's coming back. Until you get to the blood of Jesus Christ. And where is the blood applied? Okay. Where is the blood applied? This is not in your handout and it's not on the screen. But I do want to cover it for a moment. It's it's. Colossians chapter 2, verse 11 and 12. Let, if we'll put it up there. The blood is applied in baptism, and specifically water baptism. So we'll read in the Bible. That way you know I'm in the scripture. In whom also ye are circumcised with the circumcision made without hands. What's Paul writing? In the putting off of the body of the sins of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ. Buried with him in baptism. There it is. The circumcision today is baptism. 
And afterwards, you're risen with him to the faith of the operation of God who hath raised him from the dead. That means that the resurrection, that's the Holy Spirit resurrection. So when you repent of your sins, it's like taking a bill and it's marking the bill out, Xing it out. But when it's remitted or remission, it's as if it never, ever happened in the first place. Here's Acts chapter 2, verse 38. Repent and be baptized, every one of you, for, let's, let's review that again, for, that means to obtain remission of sins. You cannot have remission of sins without being baptized in the only saving name. And why do we know that? Acts 4.12. Neither is there salvation in any other, for there's none other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. How about Colossians 3.17? Brethren, whatsoever ye do in word or in deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus. I'm going to marry you in Jesus' name. I'm going to bury you in Jesus' name. I'm going to pray over my pasta in Jesus' name, though... I feel like it was already blessed. I'm going to dedicate babies in Jesus' name. I'm dedicating all the buildings in this place and all the chairs in Jesus' name. Why would I not baptize in Jesus' name? Here's the fact. No one in the scripture was ever baptized in any other way but in the name of Jesus. That's right. Nobody. And when you get to the final, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, you're going to have a declaration which we know as a commission, or we commonly call it the Great Commission. Matthew is not the only one who records a Great Commission. Luke records it. Here's Mark's version of the Great Commission, which Jesus said, Jesus said, He that believeth, Mark 16, 16, He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved. He did not say, He that believeth is saved, now get baptized. And when he said baptized, it doesn't mean just one baptism. Baptized means baptized or baptisms or the doctrine of baptisms, water and spirit. This is the Bible. Matthew 3.11. I indeed baptize you with water, John the Baptist. But he that cometh after me is mightier than I. Shoes I'm not worthy to bear. He shall, ooh, baptize you with the Holy Ghost and with fire. That's early on in John's ministry. Early on. So now we have baptisms. We're dealing with baptisms. This was, this was part and parcel of the doctrines of the church. The, the doctrines of the first church. That's number five. The doctrines of the first church. Included repentance baptisms, all of the things found in Hebrews chapter 6. A separation from the world in which they lived. And in the New Testament, in a reflection of the book of Acts, Peter is going to write, which is then also a reflection of the Old Testament, because remember we have shadows in in the Old Testament. And Peter's going to write, this is on your handout on the, on the last page. He's talking about the people in the time of Noah. Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. They were married and given in marriage. They were, they were riotous. They were godless. God repented or mean, it means he changed his mind. And so he's going to start over. He's going to wipe everybody out. He's going to, he's going to start with Noah, Mrs. Noah, three sons and their wives, eight people saved by water. This is in your Bible. 
First Peter 3.20, which were sometime were disobedience, when, when once the long-suffering of God waited in the days of Noah while the ark was preparing, wherein few, that is, eight souls were saved by the boat, by the ark. No, saved by water. I thought, I thought the ark saved them. That's not what Peter said. Peter said the water saved them. If you're looking for a type of what, what, what the ark looks like, the ark is the church and the ark is your home. It's both the church and your home. You prepare your home. You seal all the cracks in your home. You don't let anything get in your home that will bring water in and drown your family. You seal the church. The church is the ark. Your home is the ark. You protect the ark. Because you know the storm is coming. Are you with me? But you're, that's not how you're saved. You're saved by water. <laughs> so baptisms... This is a reflection of the book of Acts. Peter did this. I, I want to go to Acts chapter 19 real quick. And it's not on your handout, but if you have your Bibles. And if you just start with Acts chapter 19, Sister Lori, and we'll just, we'll go, we'll go down. We'll go down there, I don't know, seven verses maybe. Um, and and, and it, 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 it begins like this. Um, uh, while Apollos was at Corinth, uh, let's see if I can get it. Paul, having passed through the upper coast, he came to Ephesus. And verse 2 of Acts 19. Uh, yeah. And, 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 uh, and he's, no, go, yeah. Uh, go back to verse 1. And he found certain disciples. Now, what he, who he found was the disciples of John. These are men who, who followed John and had been displaced. They had been displaced. Now, we understand that John had disciples. When John was cast into prison and Herod put him into prison, he was waiting for his death. John got very discouraged and some of his disciples came and ministered to him. We know this. It's in the Bible. So these men, I don't know how many, of, how many that he had originally, but, but there were 12 of these men that he found. 12. So Paul found 12 disciples. Verse 2. He said unto them, now pay very close attention all of the people here, pay attention. Have you received the Holy Ghost since what? Say it out of your mouth. There are believers today that have not yet received the Holy Ghost. Don't tell them they're not believers. Have you received the Holy Ghost since you started your walk with God? Here is a problem of the church. This is not our problem. And if it is, I want you to straighten it out right now. There are believers that love God. They've given their heart to God. They've repented of their sins and they're following the Lord. And so are we. They are believers. They may not know what you know, but you may not know what the things that they know. There, there's, a, there's a wonderful group of people that have been baptized yet in Jesus' name. But men, have they really been pursuing the fruit of the Spirit? <laughs> okay, so have you received, this is a beautiful question, have you received the Holy Ghost since you believed? Guess what Paul just did? He lifted them up and gave them all the credibility that they needed. He did not denounce them as unbelievers, unsaved, disqualified. Have you received this since you believed? What are you talking about? They, these are displaced disciples of John, the forerunner of Jesus. 
He is the human plank. They have grown under a prophetic man that most of us would wither and die if he had to be our pastor. He wasn't afraid to call out the Pharisees. He called them snakes and vipers. You brood of snakes. How would you like, how would you like John the Baptist as your pastor? You would not. Most of us wouldn't, couldn't handle Paul, Peter, John, or any of those people. Now, Barnabas, yes. Thank God for Barnabas. We all loved him. The son of encouragement. He just went around writing Hallmark cards to everybody. You're going to make it. You're going to make it. I believe in you. You're going to make it. I've fallen many times. Come on, here comes. I, I, if, I was, if I could choose, I would have chose Barnabas. I would never have chosen Paul. Paul would rip you out. He would rip you up. He would just destroy you. He, he, wouldn't, he wouldn't even have time for people. He didn't have time for people who weren't on fire. He'd just tell you, just shake the dust, let's go on. we got to find someone who wants to be kingdom-minded. But Barnabas, he was gentle and kind. And when, and, when, and when Barnabas and Paul were traveling around, and Barnabas said, let's take young John Mark. He, he, he's growing in the Lord. And John Mark, you know, a little baby, whining all the way, always won his mama. This is in the Bible. Now, now I'm paraphrasing a little bit here. Paul saying, we got to get rid of him. Barnabas said, I'll take him. Like I took you, Paul, I'll take, take him. And Paul said, that's fine. I'll pick up Silas. He'll be my partner in crime. Paul never traveled alone. He went with Silas. And of course, Luke was hanging around too. Mm-hmm. So, so now, 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 now watch how this is going to unfold. We, we have, we have these, these powerful men. We have, we have, we have this litany of, 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 of apostolic powerful preachers. We have Paul who is aggressive. He argues in front of kings and magistrates and rulers. And, but when he gets to the disciples of John, Paul is wise. And he says, hey, have you received this Holy Ghost since you believed? And all of a sudden, he disarms all of those walls and defenses. And they said, we even heard whether there be any Holy Ghost. And now he starts where we should all start. Okay, well, how were you baptized? Well, I was baptized. What Jesus said, go in all the world, baptize them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost. Hmm. Okay, but is that the name? No, those are titles. I'm a father. I'm a son. And I, I have a disposition. You know my disposition, right? Everyone knows my disposition, right? Calm, collected, cool. Backward, shy, reserved. That's not my name. That's not my name. That's not my name. If, if Jesus told them to follow exactly what he said, why didn't they do it? None of the disciples ever baptized using the titles Father, Son, Holy Ghost. Every place in the Bible where someone was baptized in water, they were baptized in the name of the Lord, the name of the Lord Jesus, the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Never in the titles. Why? Because they understood what the name of the Father was. Isaiah 9 and 6. His name shall be called the Everlasting Father. They know what the name of the Son is. Thou shalt call his name Jesus. He'll save his people from his sins. And what, what's the Holy Ghost? What, what, this is what Jesus said. The Father will send the Comforter in my name. There's only one name. That's why we baptize exclusively in the name of Jesus. Because whatever I do in word or in deed, I'm baptizing in the name. I'm doing it in the name of the Lord Jesus, according to the Bible. Everybody got that? Are, are, so 
here he is. He's, he's, he says to them, have you received the Holy Ghost since he believed? And they said, well, we've never heard. And then he says, how were you baptized? Because that's where we begin. And they said, we were baptized into John's baptism, John the Baptist. And Paul said, I know what happened. John came and said, you should believe on him, which you come after him. That is on Christ Jesus. Are you still there, Sister Lori? Come bring, bring my beautiful scripture back up. Thank you. That way I know that this is not out of the Reader's Digest. Look. And verse 5. Now as soon as they heard this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Now when they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus, it opened up another door. Because there's two baptisms. Spirit, water, and spirit. So when they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus, guess what Paul did? He laid his hands on them. The next verse. And they all spake in tongues when the Holy Ghost came and they prophesied. That word prophesied means preaching. They all start preaching. Now that doesn't mean they start preaching right there. They just went out and start preaching. They were baptized. And of course the next verse gives us the number. The number of men were 12. So this is a critical point for our understanding. It's critical that we know that there are steps in this. And we found it out in Hebrews chapter 6. Faith toward repentance, faith towards God. How can I be saved? First, Hebrews says, He that cometh to God must first believe that God is, and that He is a rewarder of them that diligently seek Him. Repentance, we must die to our flesh. Repentance comes from the word repent means it means in Greek it means matinio. It means to turn. It's like it's like an officer says about face and you completely turn away. It's a 180 from where you were. It's a choice. And then what about baptisms? Well, Jesus introduced baptisms and then he said, he that believeth and is baptized, you'll be saved. So, in the book of Acts, there's the establishment of the doctrines of Jesus Christ. And everyone said amen. Okay, I'm out of time, but let's just do a couple of last, last minute things here. So, water and spirit baptism was part of the gospel. I want you to write next to that 1 Corinthians. Um, now I just lost my reference here. 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Is that right? Somebody look at 1 Corinthians 15. Sister Lori, look at 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 1, 2, 3, 4. I, I think that's it. 1 Corinthians 15, uh, 1 through 4. Because we need to know what the gospel is. Uh, is that right? Am I, am I on? Okay. Many people will say the gospel is the good news. I am not in disagreement with that. It is the good news. But, it, but that's like a cherry on top of the cake. It's not the cake. It is good news. Do, do you have it? Do you have 1 Corinthians? Is it 15? Yes. Moreover, brethren, I declare unto you the gospel. Everyone say the gospel. Which I preached to you. You received it. And this is how you're standing. Now I'm going to describe the gospel to you. Okay. You're saved. Keep it in memory what I preached. Verse 3. For I delivered unto you first that which also I received. Here's the gospel. How that Christ died. Everyone say death. Burial. And resurrection. That's the gospel. The gospel is his death, his burial, resurrection. If when the Bible says they believed the gospel and they obeyed the gospel. How do you obey the gospel? 
It's death, your death, your burial, your resurrection. How do I obey it? The Bible says, believe and obey the gospel. I have to repent. Now we're back in the shadow. What's the shadow? It's that 150 feet long, 150 foot long by 70 foot, 75 foot, foot wide tabernacle of Moses. You go in, you go into the tabernacle. There you're going in there. You, all the tribes are, 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 are camped around the tabernacle. You get into the gate, the right, right before Moses and his clan, you've got the tribe of Judah. You go through Judah. Judah means praise. You enter his courts with thanksgiving and to his gates of praise. There, there it is. You come in. The first article is, is this very large altar of sacrifice where the animals die. The blood is spilled. That is repentance. The three main articles in the tabernacle. Ready? It's the altar. It's the altar. That's death. The second article is the molten sea. That's where they washed. That's burial, baptism. And the third main article is the holy of holies where the ark of the covenant is. That's where the blood is applied. That's where the glory cloud came down. Where the spirit came down and consumed the blood sacrifice. Death, burial, resurrection. Repent. Be baptized every one in the name of Jesus for the remission of your sins. And ye shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost for the promises unto you. That, if, if I was going to speak at all about the book of Acts and I had one moment to speak, and this is my moment. This is what I'm telling you tonight. That those things were established and the gospel is always the death, burial, resurrection. And we found it in the book of Acts. Here's the second point. The first church. Preached baptisms as essential for salvation. It, they were essential. The next one, the name of Jesus was used in the salvation. And finally, exclusivity. Everyone say exclusivity. We'll put it up there so we can spell it correctly. Exclusivity. It's exclusive. You don't get an opinion. I don't get an opinion. It's what Paul preached, Ephesians 4 and 5. Write this down. One Lord, write this down. One Lord, Ephesians 4 and 5. One faith, one baptism. That's it. It's not up to me. It's one Lord, one faith, one baptism. There's not two or three different ways to be baptized. It's only one way to be baptized. There's not two or three ways. You, when you receive the baptism of the Holy Ghost, you will speak in other tongues as a spirit gives the utterance. That's baptism. There's just one faith, not, there's not two or three. It's not your faith, it's not my faith, it's not personal faith. It's one faith. Amen. There's one Lord. They knew that there was one Lord. Man, and I want to get down that road. Okay, we're way over time. I love you. In Jesus' name, let the word be sealed in our hearts. Thank you, Lord, for it. And everybody said in Jesus' name.